0: I just want to leave this place. Welcome to the Netherworld Emporium. I am your host, Mike Del Nero, and this is your spot for in-depth looks at the more macabre side of life in movies, including twisted fairy tales, folk horror, 80s exploitation, and other world entities. While I focus mainly on cinema... I'm also going to take some detours to look at video games, television, and other pop culture phenomenon with a dark twist. In the coming weeks, we'll take a look at the undead, including the ever-popular trope of zombies, ghosts, and other phantoms. And I'll take a look at the ancient beliefs that inspired many of these tales. After all, the ancient army of the undead was very real at one time to people living in Greece. In the coming months, you can look forward to hearing about necromancy, which is communicating with the dead in ancient Greece, the popularity of pop parlor seances in Victorian London, and a multi-part series on what I'm calling necrostalgia the phenomenon in which once dead or near dead pop culture tropes return. Everything from Stranger Things, Scream, the Final Fantasy video game, to retro horror toys and more. So please hit the subscribe button and follow me and join me for a journey into the dark woods and the less traveled road. Just be sure you brought your flashlight such to show you. Just a quick note on this episode and the episode that follows this one. Originally, this episode on fairy tales and the macabre origins of Sleeping Beauty was to be the first episode, and then Snow White was to be the second, and then the Babadook was to be the third. Uh, So the one on the Babadook The episode on the Babadook was released first And now this one On Sleeping Beauty is being released Second and then Snow White Will come third So that's just a quick note on the sequencing Of the episodes shouldn't affect Anything uh, in terms of Listening to the episodes Also note that this episode Has some pretty graphic Content so uh, just wanted You to be aware of that thanks (laughs) you <laughs> All right, welcome to the first episode of the Netherworld Emporium. This is a place where we take a look at all things macabre and horror films, uh, as well as video games, television series, and everything else that falls under the category of the macabre. So, for my very first episode, we're going to start off with fairy tales. What? Well, we're starting off with fairy tales because, as we know, most fairy tale films that at first come to our attention, come to us through the lens of the Walt Disney Company. And the Walt Disney Company has done a fine job of telling their versions of the story. But I want to go a little deeper into a couple of these tales. So this week, I'm taking a little bit deeper look at Sleeping Beauty. And uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to take a look at Snow White. And both of these tales are far darker in the original versions than the Disney versions would have us believe. So obviously the Disney versions are adaptations, generally um, made uh, for children and whole families, but they're generally family-friendly films. So before we begin talking about fairy tales and the kind of dark side of that, we have to establish what is a fairy tale. So without further ado, let me get into that. Uh, Fairy tales go all the way back to the 1600s, and two of the most famous fairy tale authors and collectors that we may be aware of are the Brothers Grimm. Now, what the Brothers Grimm did is they took fairy tales from Europe, mainly France and and, uh, Germany, and they collected these tales, and then they would write down an adapted (laughs) Nope. An adapted version um, based on many sources. So, for instance, if we take a look at a story such as Little Red Riding Hood, there are many, many versions of that story, Uh, probably close to 100. And there's all different variations on the story. There is one where the wolf actually eats uh, Little Red Riding Hood. And then her family comes along and cuts the wolf's stomach open. Uh, There's versions that have more than one wolf. So when we start to think about these fairy tales, uh, there are many different versions. But obviously, fairy tales begin with the oral tradition. Well before we had things like television, radio, movies, uh, electronic communication and digital communication. So they revolved around... Uh, the, the kind of, they, they morphed as things often do in the oral tradition. The story would change over time. And these were tales for the whole family, for adults and children alike. Um, and everybody from peasants to, uh, the elites would listen to these tales. And often they would be told at night, um, gathered around a fire, And oftentimes the family member who was the most gifted storyteller would tell these tales. And it wasn't just simply reiterating a story. It was giving life to that story. So if we think about people in our own family who we consider the most talented and memorable storytellers, they put some spin on it. They'll maybe act out the characters uh, or make the tale larger than life. So this was important in the telling of fairy tales. Uh, Besides their use as stories, they oftentimes express cultural fears and desires. And they were often told as sort of lessons for children. So we have things like the big bad wolf, And oftentimes we can imagine back in the 1600s and the 1700s, indeed, there were dangerous creatures lurking in the woods when humankind as a whole lived much closer to wild animals. Uh, We didn't have things like suburbs and that kind of thing. So there were these cultural fears and desires. It's also, we got to remember, this is a time when transportation. And communication are much slower. So it's often said that people generally lived very localized lives for the most part. They lived in a particular village or maybe a city. And lo and behold, if a stranger approached, it would be unsettling at times because everybody knew everybody else. Nobody went very far because the means simply weren't there. Obviously, there are exceptions to this and merchants and that kind of thing. But generally, people stayed close to the village. And we even see this in Disney's version of Beauty and the Beast. And she talks about living in this poor provincial town. Uh, They can also speak to conflict and violence. So one of the things that we're going to see in a lot of these fairy tales is the family unit. And we're going to see the dynamics of the family unit. One of the things that comes up often is the wicked stepmother. And one of the reasons for this that I'll get into is mothers would often die in childbirth. And so there was this notion that a stepmother would take the place of the mother, uh, both for uh, symbolic reasons, because the true mother had passed, And this stepmother was not biologically attached to the child. There were also some other reasons that I'll go into. And oftentimes the way that women were imagined in these fairy tales did represent fears about matriarchal society. Now go with a curse and serve me well. Now... Let's go a little bit and take a deep dive into Sleeping Beauty. Now, the Disney version that was made in the 1950s is absolutely beautiful. It's considered the pinnacle of the Disney art form. Uh, It uses this very fine art style style. Uh, The interiors of the castles look meticulously designed. We can get a sense of their dimensions, of their beauty, of the stained glass and of the carpet. Uh, It's absolutely magnificent animation. Uh, And as we know in this, Sleeping Beauty is born to the king and queen. Uh, And the movie begins like this. Then a great holiday was proclaimed throughout the kingdom so that all of high or low estate might pay homage to the infant princess. Well, Sleeping Beauty, Sleeping Beauty is not the first in the history of myth and fairy tale to fall into a deep slumber for many, many years. Indeed, the story of the Sleeping Princess has a long history. And we can see this in figures such as Snow White and Brunhilde in Siegfried. So, Grimm's adapted tale in 1812, the brothers Grimm adapt this, it's from two sources, Giambasta, Basile's Sun, Moon, and Talia from 1636, and from Charles Perrault's Sleeping Beauty in the Wood, from 1697. So as we see, again, there are many versions of this tale. Uh, And even prior to the Disney version, uh, in the 18th and 19th century, Sleeping Beauty was frequently uh, represented in painting uh, and many fine arts. So if you go online, you can find many images of Sleeping Beauty and different interpretations of Sleeping Beauty. So, Sleeping Beauty and Basile. Uh, This concerns Talia, and her name means Blossoming One. (laughs) Blossoming One. What happens to her is that she gets some flax under her fingernail and falls dead, Uh, And flax is a type of poison. So King who discovers her is married, but he's overcome with desire and quote plucks from her, the fruits of love. Well, now that is a very old fashioned way of saying that he has sex with her. Now, He does this while she's asleep, so this raises a lot of issues uh, of the time that this fairy tale was written. You're not going to find something like this in the Disney version. Um, And it's actually quite disturbing, clearly, when we think about that, a man having sex with a sleeping woman uh, that would fall into the category of sexual assault. But anyway, in fairy tale logic, this is what happens. So she awakens... Upon giving birth to twins, nine months later, the length of a pregnancy. So she's pregnant all this time while she's still asleep with uh, the children of her and this dashing prince. Uh, The names of the twins are not Luke and Leia, but Sun and Moon. Now, the king's mother, who also has deep-seated issues orders the death of sun and moon. But the way that she's done this is she sets a fire for them. She's essentially going to burn them alive to make another Star Wars reference, much like happened to Anakin Skywalker on Mustafar. But instead of putting them in the fire, she falls into the fire and dies. Okay, so again, uh, she wasn't all that careful there. And then, of course... Once the evil matriarch, I'll talk about in a second, is dead, everybody lives, quote, happily ever after. Because what would a fairy tale be without the happy ending? This takes us to Perrault's version of the tale, which is the second source that the Brothers Grimm drew from in making their version, known as Sleeping Beauty in the Wood. So the prince and Beauty carry on a love affair and have a daughter named Aurora and a son named Day. So again, we have twins. Now recall that in the Disney version, Sleeping Beauty is indeed named Aurora. The prince goes off to battle and sends his family to the care of his mother Ah, but these tricky mothers and stepmothers in fairy tales. Lo and behold, the mother is descended from a race of ogres. Strange that no one noticed this before. And not only is she an ogre, but she's also a cannibal. And she tries to eat the family. But a compassionate servant serves her animals in place of the family. And we'll see this again in Snow White when the huntsman who is ordered to bring the queen the heart of Snow White instead brings her the heart of a bear. So we have a compassionate servant that momentarily stops at the evil matriarch. The king returns just in time and he throws his mother into a vat of, quote, toads, vipers, addlers and serpents." So, the Brothers Grimm take from both of these versions of the tale, and it's not at all unusual for storytellers to draw from multiple interpretations. And that holds true even today when we look at movies and television, uh, oftentimes obviously multiple writers involved and they're drawing from multiple sources, uh, which is a tradition that even Disney has continued until this day. One of the things that the Grimm's version of Sleeping Beauty does is that it omits many of the conflicts that take place later in the story between the prince and Sleeping Beauty. So in the Disney version and in the Grimm's version, we're given this kind of happy ending where, okay, Snow White, not Snow White, sorry, uh, Briar Rose or Aurora, Sleeping Beauty is known by both names. Earlier I said in the Disney film she's referred to as Aurora, Uh, she's also referred to as Briar Rose by the fairies who raise her. And I'll get into that in a second. Uh, so in the other versions of the story, once they get together and they go to live together, it's not all happily ever after. They have a lot of conflicts in their life. Grimm's version contains the trope of a princess who awaits liberation from a prince or other royalty. Uh, And royalty, of course, meaning a male figure, usually a prince. Indeed, the whole trope of Disney princesses is based on the idea that there is a prince who rescues them. And uh, this was a criticism against Disney films for many, many years. Um, And we've seen modern Disney films that kind of do other things with this trope. Um, We can see this in... Uh, Wreck it, Ralph, and all the prison- princesses are telling their story, um, and they kind of poke fun at this Disney trope. Uh, we can see it in Frozen. Uh, we can also see it in Brave and other modern Disney slash Pixar films. Now, this is not the case with all fairy tale films, of course, and many contain strong, resourceful uh, heroines. And we will see this going forward, where we see Other versions where the figure is very strong, and we see this in some versions of Hansel and Gretel, as well as Little Red Riding Hood. Now, further in the Grimm's version, the parents cannot conceive and have a child until the appearance of a magical frog makes sense, who grants them their wish for a child. Uh, the Queen appears in Curse's Sleeping Beauty to die upon her 15th birthday at the hands of a spindle. And again, this happens also in the Disney version. Okay, The spell is only reduced by another woman. And in, we see this in the Disney version. It's one of the... Uh, fairy godmothers. Okay. I'm uh, not fairy godmother, but the there's the blue and the pink fairy. There's these three fairy their sisters and they travel together. And they raise uh Briar Rose. So she's supposed to sleep forever, but one of these women steps in and they change it so that Sleeping Beauty will only sleep for a hundred years. Now, this really is a strange Twist in the tail because if she had the power to lift the spell, why did she make it so that she sleeps for a hundred years? Well, probably for the same reason that a frog can help the parents conceive. It's fairy tale logic, so we'll just go with it for now. Okay, so instead of being asleep forever, Sleeping Beauty, Briar Rose, Aurora, however we may refer to her, will sleep for a mere 100 years. Also, all the spindles save one are destroyed in the kingdom so that this danger is taken away. Now, as we know in the Disney version, the uh, king and queen set out to find a suitor for their young daughter. Says he's going to marry... Okay, so in this version, who shall arrive at the party uninvited but Maleficent? And Maleficent is upset because she was not invited to this party. And this is the reason why she puts a curse on Briar Rose, Sleeping Beauty. I had hoped it was merely due to some oversight. Okay, so we see this omission, and we'll see this again in Disney's The Little Mermaid. Ursula is inspired by her spite for being left out of the party. In the Grimm's version, going back to that one, uh, Sleeping Beauty, Aurora, enters a secret room in the castle. And in this room, there is an old woman, sitting at a spindle, and she tempts Briar Rose to touch the spindle. Touch the spindle. Touch it, I say. And lo and behold, she does. And off she goes into a slumber for many, many years. Now, in a twist that is not shown in the Disney version. Immediately, as soon as Briar Rose falls into a slumber and pricks her finger, all action is suspended, almost as if we put a freeze frame on when we're watching television and we stop everything right where it is. Everything just stops in the middle of its tracks. Everybody, whatever they were doing, they just, they're frozen. The story does end joyfully, however, with the prince arriving in the kingdom awakening after the designated 100 years. And all the action that started 100 years ago continues as if it were a mere moment ago. So everyone just goes right back to where they were, okay? as if nothing, as if no time has gone by at all. Now, one of the other things that's different about the Grimm's version Uh, And many versions that were uh, inspired by the Grimm's version is that as the curse takes hold, uh, many of the suitors suffer agonizing deaths prior to the kingdom going into slumber. So, indeed, it's not just Briar Rose who is cursed, but it is many members of the kingdom who also suffer. Now. Let's get a little bit deeper into the Disney version and some of the inspirations for it and why uh, it took some elements of the fairy tale, contributed some of their own and left others out entirely. Walt Disney's Sleeping Beauty was released in 1959, over 20 years after Disney's first animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which came out in 1937. Now, Walt Disney insisted that the film not be another Snow White. And Sleeping Beauty, as I mentioned, it's really beautiful animation style. It cost so much money that it did not make its money back at the box office. So, in this sense, it was considered somewhat of a disappointment. Um, not because people didn't go to see it, but just because for the time it was so expensive to make this film. And if you've seen the Disney version, you, you know, um, exactly what it looks like. And this was actually considered the pinnacle of the Disney style that it has never been replicated, uh, animation that beautiful, uh, and that sort of done in a Renaissance style that just really is beautiful and colorful and really puts you in the place where the story uh, is taking place. Now, another thing uh, about this is that it follows in the tradition of a lot of Disney versions of fairy tales and that they add a musical element. And obviously, one of the most famous songs to come out of this is... So that is the Once Upon a Dream song that uh, was very famous and is still famous if you go to the Disney parks today. Another thing to note about this film is it was uh, actually oversaw by Disney's Nine Old Men, Uh, And they're called the Nine Old Men because they were the animators on so many of the Disney films. Um, Two of the main, quote, Nine Old Men were Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. And they wrote a lot of books, uh, seminal texts on doing animation. So they're kind of considered very, very important figures in the art of animation. And one of the reasons why Walt was not as heavily involved in this film as he was in other films, that he was busy with two very important things. One was his TV projects. So as you might know, he was doing a show that appeared, I think on uh, ABC every Sunday. And he was also busy with the second phase of Disneyland. So this was occupying most of his time. Uh, Again, like I mentioned, it had this medieval style and it was considered the height of animation. Now, we do get a very uh, scary version of the Maleficent in this film, where at the very end of the film, she famously turns into a dragon and fights the prince. Uh, We've seen this uh, in, in different iterations of it in earlier versions of the story particularly when the uh, mother is an ogre and tries to eat the children and eat the family. And so this movie gives us a version of this where Maleficent uses her magic, much like we've seen in Disney Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, where the queen turns into a witch and presents Snow White with a f- poison apple. Uh, here, Maleficent turns into a dragon and attempts to put an end to everything. Uh, But of course, she is defeated at the end by the prince and the combined efforts of the kingdom. What's the matter, dear? Oh, I just love happy endings. And so in the Disney version, we get, of course, the happy ending to the story where everybody lives happily ever after. And it's not until many years later that Maleficent gets her own story, and we come to see it from a very different perspective. And we can see this interesting phenomenon with other tales, such as Wicked, uh, and as I talk about in a future episode of based on Snow White, uh, Neil Gaiman famously did a version of Snow White called Snow, Glass, Apple, in which he depicts the stepmother as the hero figure and Snow White as an evil vampire figure in the film. uh, In the graphic novel, sorry. Listen well, all of you. All right. So thank you so much for joining me on this first episode of the Netherworld Emporium. I hope you like the show. Please uh, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Uh, And follow the show on Instagram. We'll be posting some bonus content. You can follow me at Netherworld Emporium. That's it for this week. Uh, Have a wonderful day. And thanks again. Bye.